Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Candace Lim. And you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And Rachel, we've got a problem. The problem is there is something in the air and it is not only pollution, it's vibes. You are so right. Like, I feel like there's, to borrow a phrase from Allison P. Davis, a vibe shift going on this summer, but worse. Mm-hmm. My theory is that we're just at that point in the summer where it's so hot and it's so humid that everyone's life just kind of starts melting down. Mm-hmm. At least that's what's happening around me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, same. You know, all of my friends who acquired partners during the pandemic, they're, like, fighting with them. And then our friends in the industry don't have jobs. And then Peacock is raising their <laughs> prices. Like, it is not even an election year. So what is going on? I will say, astrologically, and I know some of you hate when I mention astrology in a serious <laughs> way, but astrologically, this week, is kind of intense like venus is retrograding right now and there's just like a lot of energy in the cardinal signs which are like the most kind of some of the most important anyway what seems to be happening here is that it's giving feral energy we're Mm -hmm. we're really dealing with a lot yeah and you know what i gotta say i think i know when the feral turned on okay (laughs) i knew when the first wall fell okay and that day (laughs) was Monday when TMZ reported that Ariana Grande and her husband, Dalton Gomez, had been separated since January and they're heading toward divorce. Oh, my God. Um, They were married for about two years and then they like went public with their relationship right before the pandemic and got married in 2021. (sighs) Candace, can I be honest with you? Be it. Um... I don't think I knew that Ariana was married. I kind of stopped <laughs> keeping track after Pete Davidson. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, who is a Dalton Gomez? Mm-hmm. I mean, look, you're on the right side of society because he's definitely like the leader of who nation but dalton Mm -hmm. is allegedly a luxury real estate agent so very like selling sunset core Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. they allegedly met because he was hired to help ariana find a house and then he moved into the house with her so he really helped himself help her you know you know there's this thing that i've learned from selling sunset Mm. Where real estate agents will, it's called double ending a deal. Oh this my sounds God. like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know that we shouldn't ever be happy when a star is going through turmoil, mm-hmm. but 
if we get thank you next part two out of this, Mm. I'm not mad. Me neither. Right. Because the thing is, like, Ariana, she's been in the UK filming Wicked this whole time, which, by the way, the production is not filming right now because of the SAG strike. But, you know, Page Six reported that Dalton, like, flew to the UK to, like, mend the relationship. And it just didn't work out. And so I wouldn't be shocked if she is in the studio as we speak, laying down some tracks. But my hot take is that I feel like they got married a little quickly. Okay, Mm -hmm. I remember seeing those photos of their wedding and just being like, Ariana, do you, like, need to get married? Because, like, couldn't you just date a little more? Could you, like, enjoy your engagement with the Pearl a little more? Could you, like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know, release another album for me? Mm-hmm. But look, if there is one thing we know about Ariana Grande, okay, number one, she's going to find a new man. Number two, she's going to write bomb music about said man. Mm-hmm. And number three, she will find a new culture to appropriate when that album comes out. So I think at the end of the day, we're good. We're switching up positions, but we're good. Okay. It's so true. It's so true. The Harajuku (laughs) era for Ariana is over. Let's see what's next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's appropriate some like Portuguese chicken. Anyway, let's let's move on. (laughs) Let's move on to actually another divorce that I'm personally very devastated by. Yeah, honestly, this is really a... This is really an L for hot people everywhere. Mm. Mm. So that same day as Ariana's divorce was announced, it was also announced that Sofia Vergara and Joe Manganiello are divorcing after seven years of marriage. I love this couple. Like they, the combined hotness factor of the two of them together was astronomical. I looked at them and I was like, I don't know who I want to be here. Mm-hmm. Actually, I do. I want to be in between them. <laughs> but now there's nothing between them but empty space and divorce paperwork. It's no bread, all lettuce. It's very sad. You know, I'm upset. Mm. I'm very upset because I love Sophia. I'm Modern Family Hive. I ride for Gloria all day long. But to be honest, when I come to myself, I say, am I surprised? The answer is no, because even though I think they're a great celebrity couple, I love that she was older. I love that they were both like crazy hot. And that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My one thing was that I feel like Joe talks about Dungeons and Dragons like way too much. You know, he hosts (laughs) these like celebrity D&D games at their house and he, he like talks about it way too much on Jimmy Kimmel. And sometimes I'm just kind of like, bro, like I get you're a hot nerd. But you're, like, married to one of the most beautiful women in TV. Can you just, like, chill out? I had the exact opposite reaction to this. I, oh. There's there's nothing to me like a very conventionally attractive man being into something that is so deeply nerdy. Sure. It makes me feel like they're a good person. And I don't know sure. why. And I know that's probably not true. But it gives me the vibe of someone who got hot later in life. <laughs> Oh, that's really funny. I mean, maybe my issue is that I don't like when men have interests. Anyway, I'll say this. We are talking about two couples, all of whom are extremely rich. They will be totally fine. Dalton will sell houses. He'll join Selling OC. Joe. Joe will always, 
always be the star of one of cinema's most pivotal films about healthy male friendships, okay? Mm-hmm. And that is Magic Mike XXL. Speak on it. Speak on it. We have to play the clip. The one that changed my life. The one where he's, you know, he's dancing for that mm. gas station attendant and try to make her laugh with his moves. Honestly, homegirl held out much longer than I did. I would have folded um, the moment he walked into that fucking store under those fluorescent lights. I would have been like, Fold it in half. How much for the Cheetos and water? Gorgeous. No notes. Now, Rachel, today we may not be talking about strippers, but we are talking about something they take off. Clothes. Clothes. Specifically, we're talking about Shein. Uh, quick side note, Rachel, do you think strippers wear Shein? Honestly, Candace, that's a great question. I'm going to say yes. Okay. Not that I have any proof for this, but A, seemingly everyone and their mother wears Shein, but also because I can't imagine you want to spend a lot of money on clothes that you're you're just going to take off. Mm. And if there's anything Shein has, it's cheap clothing. That is indeed true. And for those of you out there who have managed to avoid learning about a company that we low-key think might be one of the horsemen of the apocalypse. Congratulations. Uh, But also sorry, because we're about to burst your bubble. (laughs) So Shein is a fast fashion company. It's kind of like the fast fashion company right now. And if you spend any time at all on the lifestyle, beauty, fashion, internet, you've probably heard some influencer either mentioning Shein or like doing a Shein haul usually with a promo code that makes already extremely cheap clothes even cheaper. Today, we are doing a very big haul from Shein. Shein, whatever it is. I think it's Shein. Hey girl, I have a Shein accessories haul. This is my first time buying clothes off of Shein. I went crazy, man. We got about 18 items in the package. Now, Rachel, we here on ICYMI love radical transparency, so <laughs> have you ever bought anything from Shein? <sighs> yes, I have. I know. Pillory me. Mm. It's so fair. <laughs> Unfortunately, two of my favorite summer dresses are from Shein. I will sure. say that when I was buying fast fashion, which I no longer really do, Cider was my brand of choice because the Shein website confused the absolute fuck out of me. There's just so much stuff, mm-hmm. which makes sense when you look at the numbers. Fast fashion brands like Zara and H&M and Fashion Nova on a global scale are some of the top contributors to the climate crisis. Their models, which require constantly adding new inventory that is sold at quite frankly, ridiculous prices. They rely on inhumane working conditions and a really, really, really terrible amount of consumption and waste of textiles. So that's just the industry. That's just fast fashion. Then there's Shein. Mm. Um, According to an investigation by Rest of World, Shein added anywhere between 2,000 and 10,000 individual styles to its app each day between July and December of 2021. Every single day, they yes. added between 2,000 and 10,000 individual styles of clothes. Other brands like Zara reportedly add about 2,000 styles over the course of a month, which is still bad. Mm-hmm. But 
Sheehan is double, triple, quadrupling that. It's it's a level of production that's basically never been seen before in human history. Yeah, and let's go back to those inhumane working conditions you mentioned. You know, the only way fast fashion can afford to offer consumers the low prices they do is by severely underpaying and overworking garment workers in countries like China. Like, it's pretty safe to say that if you are buying a new dress for less than $15, someone in the supply chain is, like, probably being exploited. And that's Mm -hmm. been confirmed in regards to Xi'an by a lot of reporting from Time, Business Insider, the BBC. They have all found that workers are working, like, 75-hour weeks for as little as $20 a day. If you know about Sheehan at this point, it's like pretty safe to say that you also know about how shitty Sheehan is from a labor mm-hmm. perspective and for the environment, which means that when Sheehan took a group of influencers on a factory tour earlier this month, the collective online response was something like, what? Upon interviewing the workers, a lot of them were really confused and taken back with the child labor questions and the lead in the clothing questions because they basically said, our kids want to be on social media just like y'all. They're not working in factories and our clothing grows through rigorous testing before production. When I asked them questions like, what does your work week look like? How many hours do you work? What's your commute? Most of them work like eight to six and their commute is like 10 to 15 minutes, just like normal. I expected this facility to be so filled with people just slaving away, but I was actually pleasantly surprised that a lot of these things were robotic and honestly everybody was just working like normal like chill sitting down they weren't even sweating we were the ones sweating walking through the whole facility this glossy little factory tour video which features you know influencers marveling at this bright clean innovation factory i don't think orwell could write this himself Mm-mm-mm-mm. And, you know, this video, it drops right before Sheehan was hit with racketeering charges yeah. by a group of designers who allege that the company steals artist designs, which is an accusation that Sheehan has faced multiple times in its history. We're at a time where it is honestly easier than ever to, you know, do a little research, mamas, and mm-hmm. find out <laughs> how our clothes are made. Which makes Sheehan's popularity, the company is valued at $100 billion, all the more puzzling. It seems like everyone hates Sheehan, or at least knows that what Sheehan is doing is probably not great, but no one wants to stop buying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I just actually wanted to make a quick note that Xi'an is a Chinese owned company. And I've definitely seen discourse about people equating Xi'an's poorly made items with the stereotype that anything made in China must be of bad quality. You know, I wanted to say that, yes, it is hurtful when people use, quote, made in China to call something cheap because I don't know, it almost sounds like they're trying to equate Chinese culture and Chinese people with mm. that word cheap. However, mm-hmm. We are talking about Xi'an because they are the leader in fast fashion right now. But I don't mean that like in a good way. I mean that in a soul-sucking, employee-abusing, environment-killing way. Also, uh, just a metaphor here, just because Joseph Kony was a person of color does not mean he deserved a pass like he was a war criminal. So let's just acknowledge that we are not criticizing Xi'an because they are a Chinese company. We are talking about Xi'an because they are one of the many fast fashion companies that are leading this discussion about the future of sustainable fashion. 
I'm sorry. I'm still, I'm still reeling from Joseph Coney. I mean, <laughs> you're, so, you're so right, Candace, on so many points. Um, and we'll be talking more about those points and about she and that now infamous factory tour and more with Lakin Carlton, who is a sustainable personal stylist and a fashion educator. She's been quoted talking about sustainable fashion in publications like Business of Fashion, Harper's Bazaar and the Washington Post. And now she's here with us after a short break. If you love our podcast, then maybe you should consider subscribing to Sleep Plus. With Sleep Plus, there are no ads on any Sleep podcasts. And Sleep Plus helps keep this podcast going because this show would not be possible without your support. With Sleep Plus, you'll get bonus segments and episodes for shows like Slow Burn, Culture Gap Fest, and Sleep Money. You'll also never hit a paywall on the Slate website, meaning you get access to every article and every advice column. Just visit slate.com slash ICYMI plus to sign up. That's slate.com slash ICYMI plus. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. And we're back with Blake and Carlton. Like we said before the break, she is a sustainable personal stylist and a fashion educator. Today, we're having a conversation that's kind of about Shein and fast fashion and just the path towards a more sustainable model. But I first wanted to ask, because you're definitely the expert here, how do you define fast fashion and maybe how do you define sustainable fashion in comparison to that? So fast fashion is about the speed in which something goes from the concept to the sales floor. So Zara was the first fast fashion brand officially with a lead time of only about six weeks. And now we see brands like Shein now that have shortened that to a week, if that. It is about churning out as much as possible at low prices to encourage people at all income levels to buy, buy, buy constantly. Um, Sustainable fashion... Most people assume that it does just refer to the environment, you know, eco-friendly materials and things like that. But sustainability at its core is about maintaining resources so that the people of the world can continue to live off of those resources. So at the core, it is both about the environment, but it's also about people. You can't separate sustainability and ethics. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. And you wrote this great line on Tumblr. I'd love to divest from the word sustainable when referring to brands and replace it with responsibly made. Could you tell me more about this? Yeah, that was a part of a post where I said, I don't know if sustainable fashion 
really exist. I mean, definitely not now. I think on a small scale, absolutely with people who, you know, run made to order brands and small batch brands and things like that. But on a large scale, I don't know that we can fully say that there is any aspect of the fashion industry that is completely 100% sustainable, no matter how you run your business. Um, Responsibly made, I think, not only does it acknowledge that sustainability and ethics are intrinsically linked, but it also says, look, regardless of what your idea is, it is everything. It is not just like fast fashion brands with their sustainable lines or like, you know, where this is our sustainable part, you know, the fabrics are better, but it doesn't change the fact that it is usually made in terrible conditions. It's exploitative of resources. These people are underpaid. They're in dangerous situations and dangerous workplaces. It doesn't change that. It's just, well, the fabric's better. Responsibly made, you can't really lie about that. You can make something out of 100% organic cotton, but it's still not responsible if the person who made it is in basically modern day slavery. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that is something that we need to emphasize on every end of it, every aspect of it, and not just kind of pick and choose what we want to say is sustainable, typically for marketing purposes. I think that's such an interesting point because I'm totally thinking back to all the days I would go to H&M and I would literally shop, shop, shop. And then I would see like this really nice jacket. It's maybe $60 and it has that little tag that's like eco, Mm -hmm. the eco line. And I didn't really think about it. But I look back and I'm like, it was so naive of me to think like that piece of clothing didn't come on the same truck made by the same hands, paid the same unhumane labor and wages to get to this mall in the middle of nowhere. You're completely right, which is that every product we hold, at least in this modern age, someone lost sleep over it. Someone Mm -hmm. wasn't paid fairly for it. There was something along the line that Mm -hmm. wasn't exactly the standard we hold ourselves to. It's also made in these huge quantities. H&M is making millions of garments. Shein is making even more millions of garments. How sustainable can you really be if you're making enough clothes for every person to be clothed? multiple times. Exactly, exactly. And at the end of the day, like we are talking about, you know, a company that cares about the bottom line. H&M, definitely Zara, very much in the retail space. But now we're kind of entering the online only version of this. And so I think this is a great time to talk about Shein. I just wanted to ask, like, when did Shein first hit your radar? And like, what do you know about it? What did you think about it? So I, I'm a very avid like YouTube watcher. I always like have it on in the background. Um, and I used to watch, like, I feel like almost everybody went through this phase watching a lot of makeup creators, makeup gurus, yes. quote unquote. Um, but then there was like that shift where kind of people kind of fell out of love with the makeup and the overconsumption of the makeup and mm-hmm. it kind of got replaced with like the lifestyle guru and they sort of started like here's what I eat and here's where I shop and look at this haul and I saw it in conjunction with that other site Romwe which people don't talk about oh, anymore oh <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah Romwe and like it sounds so crazy to say the higher end fast fashion, like nasty uh-huh. gal, but uh-huh. it was uh-huh. all together. And I was like, what are these? Oh my God, what's that? 
And I looked into it. And even then, when I think this was like 2018, like I'm broke, right? <laughs> I'm, I like clothes. I've always loved clothes. But I'm looking at like these prices and I'm like, I don't know that I trust that. Like mm-hmm. I, good for you that you got everything. And meanwhile, they're trying it on and it's crap. <laughs> but I'm like, that's great that you got that purchase, but it's always looks shady to me it's always been like and I'm someone who loves a bargain like and I'm still like girl I don't know about that (laughs) I don't know about that ten (laughs) dollars with that dress no 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 I don't know if that's what's gonna show up yeah it's just so funny because when you drop these names I'm just thinking about like the Love Island UK economy and like Princess Polly and like all the stuff doing in the UK and just like the way that these girls are killing themselves for these deals for clothes that probably will give them an infection. That's fine. Or that bleed in the pool. Oh my God. Oh my God. Exactly. (laughs) And they're still like shelling out coupon codes and it's like, I don't need this. (laughs) It's the way that we shop has changed so much. And just that five years since 2018, it's so, like it's insane. It's insane to like look at how going like to Ross and finding like something that only costs $10 on clearance was like, oh my God, this is like, this is exciting. You bragged about it. And now people are like, I'm not paying more than $10 for that. And it's like, oh my God, really? Are you? Oh my God. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is exactly where I want to jump in about just Shein and how big they are. I mean, Mm -hmm. from your perspective, why do you think so many people to this day ride so hard for Shein specifically? I would say as someone who did grow up poor, who is to this day broke, um, it does feel nice to be able to look at something and be able to afford it, to look at something cute, to look at something that you want, that maybe somebody else that you follow or that you like has, and to be able to access it. That's great. Like I grew up looking at Seventeen Magazine and thinking like, oh my God, those jeans are $60. I don't have $60. (laughs) And that's still reality for a lot of people. So you give them something that is not only incredibly trendy, incredibly cheap, incredibly accessible, it feels like getting something that you've been denied. At the same time, I think a lot of it has to do with just the way that social media has kind of encouraged us to live our lives. Sure. I think every single aspect of life has been made into something that you can aspire to by influencers. It's this idea that if you're doing well in life, then you have all this stuff. And even if you're not doing well in life, well, you can have all this stuff and, you know, you can pretend that you're doing well in life. Yeah. I mean, I think the cost is actually probably the most base desire of it all because, you know, we all know that people, influencers, humans, our moms, they post the best version of themselves on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And so I can understand growing up in this digital age and being like, what if the best version of myself costs $10? I would pay it, right? Because you're like, I just want to be a part of something. I want to also tag Princess Polly. I also just want to be at that level. I get it. I mean, you even see it with the aspiring influencers who are spending hundreds and thousands of dollars on stuff, hoping that the brand will notice them and then 
pay them to Mm -hmm. continue buying stuff and have other people buy stuff. It's just this idea that like anything you want, you can get it, you can have it. So we're talking about social media and something that has really surprised me is seeing the responses you get, Lakin, when you talk about Shein. You're usually just reiterating facts we all know by now about their record on labor violations or the ecological impact. But somehow you still get this really intense, almost emotional pushback that, like I said, has been really surprising to see. And I'm wondering, A, how do you feel about that? And B, what do you think about the defenses that these people come to you with, which is that criticizing Shein is classist and fat phobic? <laughs> okay, you just rolled your eyes. So I think I have a general sense of how you feel. It's not that I don't understand where that comes from. And I would never want to invalidate people's feelings. Like I said, it is something that a lot of people, the the quote unquote right to be trendy is something that a lot of people have been denied. And cute clothes are to this day hard to find for entire populations. But when people say, oh, it's classist, the thing is the bottom line is there are people that are suffering because You don't know where to look for clothes. I'm not saying there is a million options for everybody out there, but to access fast fashion in itself is a privilege. You know, I have spoken before. I have been homeless. I have been unbanked. I have not been able to shop online, not been able to buy anything, but I still had clothes. It's this like complete detachment from the idea that you are in a privileged position yourself. And when someone is talking about how something is harming people that are even below you, kind of this idea that like, but I'm actually the worst off in this situation. I'm talking about garment workers that are working in sweatshops, actively being disabled, actively being mistreated, sleeping on the floor, you know, not knowing what they're going to eat because they can't afford to with their passports confiscated. And you're like, but like, I really want the strawberry dress and I can't have it. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk all about that Shein factory influencer trip which is a sentence i never thought i would say but more importantly we're going to talk about lakin's hilarious reaction to it this episode is brought to you by snapple welcome to the snapple market auditory experience close your eyes imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store you make your way to the back and reach for your favorite snapple flavor you can't wait You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well... It was meant to. 
we were on this mission together and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. And we're back. We're here to talk about this Shein influencer brand trip. So tell me, Lakin, when did this first hit your feed? Honestly, I like to think that I am not a overly optimistic person. I'm not always rainbows and butterflies. I try to be in many ways, but I didn't think that it would get here. I did not think, I was like, you know what? It's been pretty chill lately. We haven't heard much about Shein. <laughs> I was in a false sense of security. I hadn't tweeted about it in a while. I was like, you know, they're terrible, but they're kind of in the back of my head right now. I've got so many other things to focus on. And then this hits my Twitter. I did not think they would hire a bunch of influencers to come and tour a fake fact. That just mm. wouldn't even... That I that's not even something I can conceptualize. <laughs> My brain doesn't have that capacity. And I think it is such a level of evil. And I'm very happy that I could never think of it. <laughs> You're right there, Lincoln. You're right there with the rest of us. I will say my first reaction to this video was I genuinely thought it was fake. Like, I thought it was actually AI because there was just something a little, like, uncanny valley about it. And I was like, I'm sorry, confidence activist? That's a real job? Oh, my God. We're just making up We're just making up LinkedIn's now. You know, we're talking about this Shein influencer trip that broke the internet. You know, last month, a group of, let's say decently popular and like interestingly diverse influencers were taken on this tour of an alleged Shein factory. And, you know, they post typical videos you get after like an influencer brand trip, except this time they were suggesting that contrary to like every single report of working conditions in Shein that they saw workers that they talked to them that the workers were happy and healthy and smiling and we have to bring up this kind of iconic part of the video it's from Danny Carbonari at its Danny DMC also known as a confidence activist um it's been deleted from her account but it's still up on Shein's and we're gonna play a little bit of that video is that I've seen the exact process of Shein clothing. I've seen how it's designed. I've seen how it's made. I've, now I'm going to see how it's packaged and shipped off. And I feel like that's such a unique perspective to be able to see as not only a creator, but a consumer of Shein. The idea that this, this little room, because it wasn't, it wasn't even that big. It looked, it looked like it was probably the size of my apartment, which is an apartment not a factory. <laughs> the idea that this is where she ends thousands of new garments a day are produced right here in our little cottage, <laughs> our, little, our little fashion, little workshop. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. My favorite part of the video was when she said, I expected to see them what chain to their machines and and a sweatshop like so you expect that's what you expect and, and they still wanted into. to go that's the worst and you part still walked in yeah 
That's not very confidence activist view. <laughs> I actually think the issue is she was too confident and she was activated Ooh. because of the confidence. My first hot take on all of this is, you know, these there's several influencers in this video who have spoken about this and they keep claiming I went up and I touched the people who worked on these clothes and they said they were living their best life. That's a paraphrase. My first question is, do any of you speak Chinese? Do any of you actually have language that you both share unto which you can express I'm doing well? Thank you so much. And the way that all of us reacted is pretty much the way the internet reacted. I I saw shock. I saw befuddlement. I saw just tears of, I can't believe we're actually seeing propaganda on our feed by influencers. But something that really struck me about the backlash is people pointing out that Sheehan had picked these like very specific influencers for this trip. Danny's a plus size woman. The trip included a fair amount of influencers of color. But in the grand scheme of influencing, they're still like kind of small. Danny mentioned that this was her very first brand trip. And so I'm curious, Lakin, I wanted to get your take on why do you think Sheehan chose these specific influencers for this specific trip? Oh, that's absolutely on purpose. They couldn't pick like an Alex Earl or uh, what, an Emma Chamberlain. They couldn't pick a, a big, a big creator because that would be in a lot of ways, I think, too obvious. Mm-hmm. I mean, the job of an influencer is, to be frank, a corporate shill. But once you get to a certain level, it's like too shilly. Like these are small, they're independent, they're they're small, they're they're indie in that they are marginalized. They are above reproach. Because what? You expect them to not take the Shein money? They have families to feed. That's absolutely on purpose to be able to say, look at how we support these small creators. It's the same kind of philosophy behind their artist program. Shein has an incubator where they collaborate with designers and they the designers design and, and they walk them through the whole process of manufacturing it and everything. So they said that they have worked with over 3,000 designers and artists who have earned almost over $5 million across, and this is where it gets insane, 25,000 items. Now, I'm no mathematician, but $5 million for 25,000 items divided among 3,000 people. Was it worth it? Was it worth it to make, I think, (laughs) $1,200? They don't do it to make money. They have enough money. They do it because they want to look like, no, actually, we do support people. Not the people that make our clothes, mind you, but like other people that you might know that, you know, have faces and like Instagram accounts where they could make us sound really good. So yeah, it's entirely intentional. It's all it's all very insidiously crafty, if you will. Mm, yeah. I mean, Lakin, something that you're totally like making me realize is there is such a good reason why they didn't go for like Daniel Bernstein or Alex Earl. And it's because those people have teams who would tell them don't do it. And that's the thing. Sheehan, this is a corporation that unfortunately 
makes billions of dollars each year is preying, if not on you, then your friends and your family and your cousins. And the thing is, they're not going to go after someone like, oh, I don't know, Taylor Swift, who signed a crypto deal with FTX. Like the New York Times reported that FTX was actually the one who dropped the deal. But her team went through like six months of discussion and research and legal because that is their job. She has the money to be protected. With Sheehan, they went for people who were vulnerable. They went for influencers who unfortunately were preyed on for that naivete and ignorance. And I like unfortunately feel like the influencers got shafted even more than Sheehan. Like these influencers are getting absolutely demolished. And it kind of makes sense because they didn't have the same foundation that Sheehan has to confront all of this backlash. Because guess what? People are still buying Sheehan right Mm -hmm. now during this taping as we speak. It's funny that you mentioned Taylor Swift because I think that Taylor Swift and Sheehan have something in common. And it is that no matter, I know that's such a weird lead. (laughs) (laughs) It gets no matter how big they get, people treat them like the underdog and defend them like they're an underdog. Because there's this idea of Taylor Swift. She just writes songs from the heart and she does it to speak to us, the youth, the teenagers, the girls who are so often overlooked. And she in, oh, they make these sell these clothes for so cheap to help us, the, you know, those of us who are poor, those of us who are plus size, those of us who are this and can't access, you know, the trends. It's like, no, neither of them is doing that for you. Mm-hmm. They're doing it for money and you're giving them a lot of money and they have a lot of money. You don't have to defend them. They will be so fine because they are oh, so yeah. fine after this trip. And they're going to be so fine after the lawsuit that just got filed by a group of independent artists that were copied by Shein. They have brought not only copyright charges against Shein, but also RICO charges against Shein, racketeering, whatnot. They say that the CEO is a shadowy, mysterious tech genius who nobody knows anything about. And they go into depth about how the algorithm is, quote, creativity free, and that it literally just picks up things that are trending and then reproduces them with sweatshop labor. And then on top of that, if because their company structure is, I think the word that was used was Byzantine, if you can even figure out who to sue at Shein to recuperate some of your losses from having your art copied, they do limited runs for every SKU so that they can report low sales to get lower settlements. Right. And SKU or SKU stands for stock keeping unit, which basically is this unique identification code or like the barcode you see on a tag. It's how retailers keep track of inventory. So say they produced, you know, a million of your stolen art, but maybe they did that with 10 different SKUs. Maybe they did that with a hundred different SKUs. So they can just say, well, here's the SKU. Here's here's the product. We only sold 10,000 of them, but they actually sold 10,000 of them 10,000 times under different listings, different product images, all of this. And there's no way to prove it. There's no way to even... They don't reveal any numbers. They don't have any sort of transparency. They can just, they do whatever they want. 
they're like Amazon, but worse, even worse. And that's crazy. (laughs) I mean, that's terrifying, especially from an environmental perspective. This goes into what I think will probably be our last question, which is you said that Sheehan is going to be fine after this lawsuit and after this factory video controversy. And it is, you're right. Massive amounts of cheap clothing that's being produced by exploited people that is then being dumped everywhere after people get sick of it. I'm not an optimist. I don't know if people are going to consume less. I don't know if the trend cycles are going to slow down. I honestly feel like they're probably not. All that to say, Lakin, what do you think is actually going to happen or needs to happen? Yeah, I hate it. But a lot of things have to happen. And I mean a lot. One, people are going to have to start being paid more. Mm-hmm. Two, there's going to have to be some kind of laws holding these companies accountable for the entire lifespan of a garment, not just what they sold, but also what they threw away. And then it's going to have to be just a cultural shift towards the way life was not too many years ago, where we are buying less, where we do value our clothes more. Um, For me, I think the path to that, at least partially, is localization. I think that this idea that nothing we have is really made, let alone not even in our country, let alone in our state or our city, I think that's ultimately extremely detrimental to the way that we approach our goods. The fact that we don't know who is creating these things, what they're made of. There's no accountability. I think localization of at least major things, like maybe some of our clothes, maybe our food, things like that. I think that would go a long way to teaching us to value things more. Um, I don't know that it'll happen in my lifetime. I would love to see Shein shut down um, in my lifetime. Um, it's funny. The There were a group of investors in Nike who actually have started to hold Nike accountable for how their goods are made and the traceability and the ethics because they don't like the way it is, um, mm-hmm. especially with the current issues of um, cotton being produced by slave labor in parts of China. Um, and I hate to say it's going to be the people with money who start. Mm-hmm. Yeah who start raising the alarm. It's going to be the billionaires. Sheehan is, they say that they're talking about an IPO coming up. And I think if that happens, it's going to be the people who want to invest, who obviously ultimately want to make money off of Sheehan, but it's, it's going to be them who have to kind of start that ball rolling. All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Saturday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss a debrief on the state of fast fashion. Spoiler alert, it's bad. 
Please leave a rating and review in Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, what's a confidence activist? And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Sierra Sprackley Ricks, Rachel Hampton, and me, Candace Lim. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's vice president of audio. See you online. Or at an innovation factory.